Welcome to Freedom to Know Wellness, a disability advocacy platform to hold space and give a voice to those with complex medical and chronic pain conditions, female reproductive challenges and miscarriages, and address other disability-related topics, including how these experiences affect one's mental health. I am your host, Michelle Samuels. Now, before we start, please remember to subscribe to the Freedom to Know Wellness channel at FTK Wellness to catch all of our content and click the bell for notifications on new posts. If you enjoy our content, consider contributing financially to aid with the Freedom to Know Wellness production by clicking the at FTK Wellness PayPal link on our channel's page or found in the description box below. Every bit helps. Today, we are continuing our uterine fibroid female reproductive health series with women sharing their personal stories with uterine fibroids and the measures they've taken to manage and or get rid of these benign tumors. In our previous episode, we discussed fibroids and myomectomies, which is a surgical procedure to remove fibroids from the uterus while preserving the uterus. But in today's podcast, we are discussing the fibroid removal surgical procedure known as the hysterectomy. Hysterectomies are the most common and often enforced surgical procedure by practitioners to remove uterine fibroids. On our podcast, we will be hearing from one woman's journey on an enforced hysterectomy, but let's provide some context on the different forms of hysterectomies. There are four types of hysterectomy surgeries and their subforms. Number one, partial hysterectomy, which removes the uterus body, leaving the cervix, fallopian tubes, and ovaries in place. Number two, simple hysterectomy. These procedures removes the entire uterus and cervix. Number three, hysterectomy with bilateral sampingo oophorectomy, also known as the total hysterectomy. This is the standard hysterectomy that removes the uterus, cervix, ovaries, and includes the fallopian tubes. And number four, radical hysterectomy. This is a hysterectomy used for both fibroids and especially endometrial cancer. There are two forms of radical hysterectomy. Number one, removes the uterus, cervix, ovaries, and fallopian tubes. And number two, includes the removal of the surrounding tissues, upper vagina, and usually the pelvic lymph node. Prior to the early 2000s, a total hysterectomy was often the main surgery enforced by practitioners, as there was a concern of fibroid tumors becoming cancerous, which led to many women receiving total hysterectomies to avoid the possibility of cancer. We now know that the majority of fibroid tumors are benign, and science now provides a variety of surgical options, including different types of hysterectomies. But prior to the early 2000s, these total hysterectomy surgeries were aggressive both physically in appearance, as the cuts often left a garish scar. But the worst part was the drastic shift in hormonal health due to total hysterectomies sending many women in their 30s and even late 20s into early menopause. The side effects of early menopause also had mental and emotional repercussions, managing a list of menopausal symptoms, including hot flashes, brain fog, mood swings, vaginal dryness, loss of sexual arousal, and the possibility of early osteoporosis. 
Now, to combat the effects of this hormone deficiency, synthetic hormone replacement therapy medications were administered, medications such as Premarin. Now, here is the scoop on hormone replacement therapy, aka HRT, like Premarin. Premarin is made from horse urine. Yes, I said it, horse urine. From pregnant mares and is solely estrogen-based when the female hormone requires both estrogen and progesterone. The side effects of estrogen-only HRT includes the possibility of breast cancer, uterine cancer, blood clots, and stroke. Additional medications to replace the progesterone imbalance later had to be administered to balance the hormones, but there was always controversy surrounding Premarin. Since then, there has been advancement in balanced estrogen and progesterone HRT medications, but none are without its side effects. But that is for another discussion. So let's start our interview. Today's guest on the Freedom to Know Wellness, the podcast, is Shauna Stewart-Douglas. Shauna experienced an emergency total hysterectomy when her doctors suddenly discovered a massive size fibroid tumor. A tumor that was originally considered a cancer scare, but then was later confirmed to be a fibroid tumor. But nonetheless, this large fibroid tumor was considered life-threatening and required emergency surgery. But funny enough, Shauna is a woman who was on top of her health, getting her regular checkups with her gynecologist within that past year. So how did this large fibroid get missed? But we will let her tell her story to get all the details. But before we start... Please remember that the information provided in this episode is from the opinions of the interviewee and interviewer. For further medical advice, please contact your practitioner. Now, let's begin the interview. I would like to welcome today's guest and fibroid warrior herself, Shauna Stewart-Douglas. So welcome to the Freedom to Know Wellness podcast, Shauna. How are you doing? And tell us a little about yourself. I'm doing really wonderful. Thank you so good, much. Good, good. Really wonderful to be here. Um, yeah, let's see here. I am. My name is Shauna, as you said, and um, yeah, I'm a mom. I'm a business owner. I'm living here in Canada, and um, yeah, I'm feeling feeling very uh, looking forward to our conversation. And I think um, you know, had some health ups and downs, but um, but overall, things are looking really positive. And what part of Canada do you live? In British Columbia. I am okay. in the. Nice, nice, nice. And what kind of business do you run? I am a fractional COO for online business coaches. Awesome. Awesome. So you've had, you know, maybe a long-standing experience with uterine fibroids. Uh, prior to being diagnosed, um, did you struggle with any type of female reproductive issues, um, such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility? Yes. Um, I had I had quite painful periods probably for my whole life mm-hmm. and um, kind of long periods as well. And then I also struggled with uh, fertility and, or, sorry, infertility and then secondary infertility as well. Okay. Okay. Um, so within the um, experience of struggling with infertility and dealing with those extreme um, type of periods, when they were doing a type of ultrasounds, nothing was showing up, any polyps, no fibroids, et cetera? No, nothing was showing up. That wow. was something that was, yeah, it was really very surprising. So, I mean, given the fact that I was going through fertility treatments, which are, mm-hmm. you know, fairly, you know, you're getting lots of scans constantly and blood yeah. work, and all the rest of it. And um, there was nothing that was showing up. Um, there was nothing that was showing up at that point. 
afterwards, um, afterwards I had a, uh, I had a cyst. I had some pain on one of my, uh, one of my ovaries and I had some, mm-hmm. had a, I had a cyst, um, but there was no, um, even at that point, no fibroids had uh, shown, shown up. Okay. And they never, um, understood what was the cause of the infertility. No, it was just, um, there were, there was a couple of different factors, but, but not, not fibroids. Okay. Okay. Um, and so you had no underlying medical conditions outside of all of that. No, I mean, outside of infertility, I had a extremely healthy pregnancy. Um, mm. I had a really, you know, safe and, 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 uh, fine, uh, birth process. Um, all of that was very fine. It was just outside of the actual fertility part of the, of the process. Yeah. Um, that was the, that was the issue. Okay. So if I'm understanding correctly, you were struggling with infertility, then you were able to have a child. Yes. And then you tried to have another child afterwards. And then that's with secondary infertility. Yes. You're saying your experience. Okay. All right then. And so how did that process, um, the secondary infertility, what was the process? Were you able to conceive or what was your, what happened? Yeah. So we did, uh, we did several rounds of IVF. So mm-hmm. to, when we got pregnant the first time, um, it was uh, several rounds. I think it was three rounds of IUIs. And then we got pregnant the first time with IVF. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I did IVF again a couple of times and mm-hmm. it, uh, it did not work. And so by that point, I had just realized that that was, um, that was enough. And uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do any more, yeah. uh, more of that. So, yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. So when did you find out that you have fibroids and what was that process? Well, I found out, um, I found out in, uh, it was a couple of years ago now. And what was Mm -hmm. happening was, is I was noticing that, you know, once a month I was getting some swelling in my, in my abdomen and -hmm. it was starting to feel, it was starting to feel bigger. And I was very certain I was, wasn't pregnant because Mm -hmm. we knew that this was something that would, would have been a, would have been a challenge. So I something in there, but it just kept on going away. So I would, I would, I would kind of feel around when I was laying, I couldn't really t- feel anything when I was standing up, but when I was laying down, I could, I could feel something in my stomach um, or my lower, lower abdomen. And then I would get my period and it would go away. So given the fact that I had had painful periods for a long time, um, I had, you know, that was something I was kind of familiar, familiar with. I mm. had been to the gynecologist actually about it was a little over a year prior to that because mm-hmm. I was I was experiencing a period that would just kind of it would come and then it would it would go and it'd be right back. It would be like I had two periods in the month and mm-hmm. it was really quite uncomfortable. So I had gone to the gynecologist and I had been, you know, I was I was examined then and was said they're like I don't know. They just said I don't know why it's happening and this just happens to some women and we don't know what's going on. So right. because fact that I had just been to the gynecologist, I was thinking like, this must just be more of my painful period life, I guess. And right. so it just, it kept on, it just, it, it kept on kind of really being noticeable every month. So I finally went to my GP and mm-hmm. had a ultrasound. And that was when it was, that was when it was found. So when they found it, did they decide to just monitor the fibroid for a while, or did they realize that you need to have surgery right away? Well, when they first found it, mm-hmm. it was, it was very, um, it was a very dramatic, it was a very dramatic kind of learning of it. So I, mm-hmm. I went 
to my GP um, a couple of weeks later, I think a week later, I had an ultrasound. And then it was it was not long after that I got a call from my uh, my GP's office. I came in and they were, because of the fact that I had just been to the gynecologist, this had grown to such a size so quickly. The immediate concern was that it was it wasn't just a fibroid. The immediate thought was that this was um, this was a tumor. This was cancer. This was something, uh, something like this. So when the original conversation was, you know, you need to just prepare yourself. It could be quite possible that you'll have a radical hysterectomy this weekend. Um, just make sure to start to kind of prepare yourself. So that mm-hmm. was the first part of the of the conversation, and then um, then was kind of referred on to the gynecologist, and and my case was referred on to specialists. And as they started to do kind of looking at it more. They were relatively, they were very, very sure that it most likely was not cancer. They couldn't completely rule it out because they weren't able to do a biopsy, but Mm. um, they thought that most likely that is not, that is not what it is. Um, Because of the size, it was quite large. um, It was, I mean, I I could have left it, but because of the fact that I was not a hundred percent sure that it wasn't cancer, um, I wasn't comfortable with that. Right. Um, of the size, then, you know, it was just kind of known that it was going to have to be a, it was going to have to be a hysterectomy and, um, it was, you know, they weren't going to be able to just kind of remove it on its own. So yeah, kind of, it it was, it was very dramatic there for a while. And then it, um, it calmed down a little bit. So they didn't even bring up the idea of a myomectomy. You were myomectomy. You weren't even a candidate for that. No, no, it was, no, it was, it was quite large. So how large, for example, like a watermelon, grapefruit, like an extremely large grapefruit, like what size? It was about the size of a small watermelon. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's funny. Um, when you mentioned that when you, li- when you lied down, that was the only time you were able to see it. You weren't able to see it when you were sitting up. And if I remember you saying that you had um, an ultrasound even prior to discovering that you had the fibroids. And it wasn't invisible. Um, if you don't mind me asking, do you have a retroverted or antiverted uterus? Um, wait, I have a antiverted. So just, yes. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so. And they, they said that the reason why um, that, that I guess it wasn't noticeable for so long was just because of the way that my, my, my overall pelvis just happens to be shaped. Right. So when I was pregnant, I wasn't, I didn't show until almost, you know, close to the end of my pregnancy, just the way that I happened to be shaped. It just wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, it would go away whenever I got, or it felt like it went away whenever I got my, my period. So it just, yeah, it was just really easily, easily hidden. Right. Right. Um, it's funny because, um, the reason why I asked you is that a lot of times I've heard and just myself, because I have a retroverted uterus mm-hmm. that it's harder to see the fibroids the size, the mass, a lot of things get hidden because it's at the back. Like a lot of times people, like with women with retroverted or antiverted, they carry the pregnancy from the back. So it's harder to see. So yeah, I could just imagine how, how, how that's the size of a watermelon. That's intense. That is very intense. It was, and it was kind of like, um, it was kind of embarrassing almost because mm. I was thinking like, how, how is that even possible? Like, how can something that size be mm-hmm. in my and I not even know. I mean, no. I consider myself to be somewhat familiar with my body. I yes. mean, you know, you you kind of think that you know what's going on, and then to to get this information was really 
yeah, it was really baffling. You know, it feels like your body is letting you down mm-hmm. or you just don't have the right kind of concept or, or awareness. It was, it was, yeah, it was really, it was unsettling. It was, it was scary. And you mentioned about being aware of your body and to our listeners, by the way, um, Shauna and I, it's now called um, TMU, but back in the days it was called Ryerson University. And we graduated from the dance program. We're all professional dancers. So we're very aware of our bodies. So when she says that, I can completely relate to you in regards to understanding. We're very aware of what's happening in our bodies, just, you know, whether it's physically or just, just intuitively, we are mm-hmm. very connected. So yeah, I can understand that frustration and questioning. You know, mm-hmm. but um, so now you're uh, you are suggest you are recommended strongly recommended to be able to have the surgery. So after this, how long afterwards did you end up having the surgery? So I found out about all of this. It was at the very beginning of the year, so it was around February. I had mm-hmm. surgery in May, so it was a relatively fast. It was a really relatively fast process. I had um, first I had a. Um, I had an ultrasound and I had a CT scan. I had an MRI just to check, like to mm-hmm. kind of get any more information. And um, then it was, I was scheduled in, I was scheduled in for May. I was originally, I was originally warned that it could be, uh, it could be a wait. And it turned out that I was able to get a date that, that wasn't too, that wasn't too far along um, because of the fact as well that I was having, uh, I was having like a fair amount of pain. It was quite, it was uncomfortable. Um, mm. and my, uh, my period was like, was, was really quite painful now as, as time was going on. Yeah. Um, my nails were I mean, not that this had an impact on their, on surgery or anything, mm-hmm. but like my nails were like just gone. They were, I don't know if it was just all the, everything was kind of out of balance and everything like that. So I was, I was fortunate that I didn't have to wait too, too long. So you were having extreme heavy bleeding, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So your nails were getting weak because of, um, the lack of iron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what that's like. <laughs> it's frustrating. So, so, but with the pain, so when you were having the painful periods, did they um, give you any type of prescription to be able to help you to manage or were you just taking the over-the-counter Tylenol? I was just taking over-the-counter Advil, Advil, actually. Mm-hmm. Advil. I was going to say not even Tylenol. I was going to say the Advil. <laughs> Yeah. And I used to sleep, I had a, I would have a bottle up on my, um, up on my, uh, like nightstand or my uh, dress drawers. And I would, you know how it lasts six hours. And so I would have there, I would take it as long as I could. I'd wait until as long as I could. And then I would take it. And then I I would wake up in six hours because I was uncomfortable and I would take another one, wait 30 minutes. Cause that's how long it takes. Yeah. And then I'd be able to fall asleep again. Like it was just, yeah, it was, no, that's yeah. intense. That's intense. Yeah. You actually required, probably required a stronger medication, but you stuck with the Advil until the surgery. Did. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me to ask. It didn't yeah. occur to me to, yeah, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that I needed to, that I needed to ask or that it was even an option. Like it just, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. So, okay, now you went and had the surgery. The surgery was successful for, from what I'm understanding. Um, your recovery period, how was, what was your experience, I should say, with your recovery period? Just not just even physically, physically first, but also mentally, emotionally. How was that for you? Yeah. Um, so physically, it was, um, it, it went pretty well. I was surprised mm-hmm. by how long it took me to recover. So the um, the doctor did tell me, she said that, you know, you're going to take six weeks. You really should take this six weeks. And I was like, six weeks, come on. Like this, that sounds like a really long time. And then, um, no, I definitely needed six weeks and it was, uh, it was just, it was physically draining. Like I was, I was really exhausted. I had, I would wear, um, a belly band kind of thing. And that helped to make me feel Mm -hmm. 
secure. I had a lot of pillows that was all that were already always um, surrounding me. Um, I had some some pain medication that I was given okay. as well that made me really dopey. It was very effective, but I mean, just eradicated all efforts to kind of want to be able to do anything. Yes. Um, so it was very, so it was, it was humbling. It was definitely humbling to kind of think, okay, I just need to sit around here and wait. Mm-hmm. So physically that was, um, that was how it went. And so that ended up having an impact kind of emotionally as well. And yeah. it was, um, it was kind of interesting because I was thinking when I went in for my six week post-op, I guess it was, um, I went in and, you know, my, uh, the doctors and asking me a bunch of questions and kind of checking me and everything. And then I left and I just, I said to my husband, I'm like, they really should ask some mental health questions at this point. Cause honestly, yeah. like I was not good. I was not doing well. Like I was, oh, God. it's like, it's really, it's really hard. I mean, if you're, you know, you're used to just being in your life and doing mm-hmm. what it is to do and to all of a sudden not be able to do that. And for, you know, for something like a fibroid, like, you know, like it was just like, you know, emotionally, it had been kind of a lot for the last, you know, those, those several months. And yeah, I was, I was not in a good, I was not in a good head, headspace. Uh, and, and, and I think I, I also kind of felt a bit down on myself for that as well. Cause I'm like, you know, physically I'm good now. Like I'm very lucky, very fortunate. Like it could have been, you know, it could, you know, all these could have bins. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I think emotionally it, uh, it definitely took its toll. And then, you know, we talked about being, you know, familiar with our bodies and yeah. I was not, familiar with my body. All of a sudden I couldn't really move mm-hmm. and I had weight that I wasn't used to. And I had, you know, all of these things and it really, it really added up to, yeah, just make me think I'm like, they, they, they really ought to have a more robust mm-hmm. post-surgical post-op uh, checklist basically. So I'm going to go back a bit. Cause I just remembered the type of hysterectomy that you had you still mm-hmm. have your ovaries, but you had to remove the uterus, correct? Or did you have to remove the ovaries too? Um, no, I still have the ovaries. Um, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, the, the tubes and the cervix uh, was removed. Right. Yes. At, you know, um, uh, there's an old, I know in uh, a lot of First Nations community and also in African communities, and I'm assuming as well in European communities that we understand as women, there is a connection, yes, to the ovaries, but also to the uterus. There's that emotional, spiritual connection. So what I realize with women is that we have an emotional connection to our uterus. Um, I don't know what exactly it is, but there's that, like even when we go through certain stress, sometimes we feel pain in our uterus and sometimes we can feel a sense of release. We can feel a sense of elation, you know, um, you know, ecstasy, what have you. So when they remove a uterus, whether uterus or ovaries are all together, it's important, as you're mentioning, to ask about your mental health if there's that type of support. And so what you're mentioning is very on point in regards to that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a grieving process. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really very fortunate. I had um, uh, uh, a friend of mine who is a woman. She is a nurse and she helped in um, she helped in pre and postnatal. And so she was she worked with a lot of um, pregnant women and kind of women after they had their babies. Mm-hmm. And she was having a conversation with me before. And she said, just something that people don't generally mention is the fact that you might really go through a grieving process, you know, before the surgery or after speaking exactly to what you're just saying, Michelle, mm-hmm. she's like, she's like, because we don't, it's just a part of our body. It's a part of who we are. And, and we don't really necessarily, sometimes we don't even think about it really. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to all of a sudden be confronted with the reality that it's going to be gone. I mean, what does this mean? Like, what does this yes. mean for you as a woman? 
Um, what does this mean for you as a, as a partner, as a mm-hmm. mom? Remember, like, what does this actually mean for you? And it was, it, she was right. Like, cause then it, I had another, um, uh, another friend of mine, um, her background is Cree. And she was talking about how this is like your, your uterus is your connection to the yes. divine. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Where life comes from and they're taking it away. Yes. What does this mean? for your connection to the divine or anything else, like how, what does that mean? And so it was really, um, yeah, it was. And and then you have no, no reference point to know what after is going to be like, like, Mm -hmm. this is just how you've always had it. And then what's going to be like, what is it going to be like after? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was, um, that was very confronting. And I definitely, I definitely grieved in and for what I didn't know, you know, right, right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something about this weight. Um, can you, ex- um, can you expound on that? I'm kind of curious about what you meant in regards to the weight experience, uh, the weight of my body. Yes. 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 Well, I mean, I just, I was, you know, I was used, used to my body being a certain way and mm-hmm. uh, a certain size and feeling a certain way. Yes. And then I had, um, you know, then I'm having this surgery and an incision that was, I mean, quite sizable. And mm-hmm. I, um, I had never had the, I didn't have a cesarean section. So I, you know, I wasn't familiar with this. I hadn't right. had this before. Um, so all of a sudden I had this. So then I'm, I, I mean, my body is, um, it's sore it's not flexible anymore yeah. uh, right there because your body is protecting and then I'm not moving very much. So I was, you know, gaining weight and then you know, my clothes don't fit the same. Cause there's an incision, like where, like, where do you put your pants? You know, like mm-hmm, little things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. How do those, those actually fit? Um, and then just getting used to my body, trying to get that flexibility and being able to, to move, I guess, again. And then yes. because of the fact that you're just feeling like I was feeling weaker, I just felt so slovenly. And I mean, like my bedroom is upstairs. So just kind of mm-hmm. like stairs and everything, everything was just, um, everything was just harder. Yeah. And, and you're mentioning in regards to your pelvis is feeling normal within your own pelvis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My husband made the comment as well that after it's like, I just didn't really move my torso. Like I just kind of kept it really still for a long time because I guess because I was trying to protect it and protect I was just, it, yeah. feeling, you know, I wasn't feeling very secure. And I, so I just kind of got stiff, you know, afterwards, just from moving in a, in a different way. And you're not used to being stiff at all. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm just thinking of dance. I'm like, no, 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 no. She's not used to that at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So with the incision, um, I know a lot of times as women, Sometimes we can feel insecure, even about our incisions. Um, and um, you said that you had a pretty large incision. How was the healing process with that? Was it a pretty easy? Some people use different means to be able to help heal. Like some people use tape for it to be able to dissolve better. Like what was your process? Um, yeah, I had a, overall, I had a very good healing process. I yeah. had some tape that was across. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually when the, the tape, um, you know, the tape came off, I had a, um, a friend of mine had given me some, um, some salves and things like that. So I was kind of mm-hmm. massaging, massaging into it. And that was, um, that was really good. So overall it was really good. Like I was just, you know, made sure to keep it, you know, dry for the first little while and, mm-hmm. um, Make sure to keep it clean. And so I was, I was very fortunate. I didn't have, um, I didn't have any kind of complications or anything. I did 
I hadn't really thought about the fact that in addition to the incision on the outside, there would be so many, um, so many stitches on the inside. So I remember at one point kind of going to get up and it felt like a little, it felt like a little bit of a pop. It didn't hurt exactly. It just kind of felt like, and it was just this reminder going, oh yeah, there's actually, there's a lot. There's a lot yes. going on. Yeah. It was kind of calmed down, but it was um, overall, overall um, really good. And, uh, and I didn't have any complications. Okay. Okay. Um, so you were mentioning in regards to your husband observing, you know, how you were moving, how you were feeling. Um, did the, you know, some men don't share anything. And I believe a lot of men are just focusing on being supportive when their wife is going through an experience like this. But did he share like anything in regards to, you know, how this hysterectomy would affect him? Did it also, the other question is, did it also affect your sexual health? Because sometimes for some women that can be an effect afterwards. How was your, how was his experience? Um, His experience was, um, was overall very positive. He was just very focused on I mean, he was, he was scared afterwards. He told me, he was like, mm-hmm. Holy smokes. Like that was, that was really scary, especially at the mm-hmm. beginning. Like I didn't want to say anything, but that was like really scary. <laughs> and so he was, I mean, he was scared. Um, he's, he's really, really good at being able to, um, he was a really great advocate. So he came with me to all the appointments. And so he was really Wonderful. good at asking all the questions and, you know, it doesn't bother him if people are like ready to wrap it up. And if he still has 12 more questions, he just keeps going. So that was great good for him. <laughs> <laughs> in, that, in that context, it was fantastic. Um, and he was just really, he was, he was very, very supportive. And he was just, I mean, the the great thing is too, like he doesn't, he doesn't care about any physical anything. So it was right. He was like, you know, you've got a scar. I mean, I've like shown the kid like the kids my scar. And I'm like, this is cool, you see, because this is this means like I went through something and I got to the other side. So this is cool. So like, okay, that's you're cool. a warrior. <laughs> that is awesome. So we kind of try to talk about it that way. Um, and then as far as the sexual health and stuff as well, um, yeah. that was that that was a question too, because I mean I had my cervix removed as well. And so I'm like, that's I mean, how is that going to impact things? And yeah. I mean, fortunately for us, it didn't. I mean, it didn't have it didn't have a negative impact. Okay. So I just realized I didn't ask the question in full. I was trying to ask, you know, how was his experience? But, you know, I, and you pretty much touched on it. How was your experience knowing, okay, this has happened. My cervix removed, my uterus removed. How do I manage sexually with my husband? But as mm-hmm. you said, you had no issues. There was no insecurity. It just went down good. All right. Yeah, everything. Wonderful. Everything. Yes. Everything was, um, everything was fine. I mean, I can't say, I mean, again, like, you know, trying to get reacquainted with your body and is everything going to be the same? And, um, it was, it was really, very, really, very positive. So that's, yeah, that's good thing. (laughs) No, that's a good thing. No, because everyone's different, but it's like that question, how are things going to work out? You know, but you know, some people hold on to that insecurity. Some people said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to try it. Let's go at it. (laughs) So I'm glad things worked. (laughs) That is good. That is good. So um, now how many years has it been since you've had the surgery? It is now um, four years. Four years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how long before you felt like you felt like, was it a year that until you felt that you were more inclined with your body or like, what was the, how in the four years, what has, how has been your healing process? I would say that it was probably a little, about six months later, mm-hmm. I felt like it was like, I'm like, okay, I can, I can kind of do things. I was, mm-hmm. I, 
I was not as strong as I had been. I was not as flexible as I had been. I was, you know, I was kind of a, uh, you know, a slightly altered version of, uh, you know, a healthy version of myself. Um, it was around six months later that I said, I decided that I needed a, like I needed something to kind of work towards. So I decided for some crazy reason, I decided to start running, which I don't like running at all, but I just had this in my head. This is what I'm going to do. So I started doing that. And then I that like kind of helped me to give me a goal and to kind of help me feel like I, I had, I was the one who had agency and power over my body again, not just, right. you know, medical professionals or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there was that. And then, but then it was honestly, probably it took a little while longer. And I think maybe this is just a, like a, an emotional thing for me. It was another year, I think, before, until I really started to feel like, okay, okay, now I'm, now I'm back to just, you know, whether I'm back to how I was before, or this is me now, and this is like, this is good. And this is, I'm just going to move forward. Yes. It took me a while to kind of get, get back to, um, get, get, kind of get back to myself. Like now, how I am now, where I am now, now I feel like this is, um, you know, this is me. I feel, I feel like normal, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Yes. Um, so I feel it. So, but it took me, it took me a, a while. Okay. Okay. And, um, you did mention in regards to your doctors, they treated you well. They didn't make you feel like, like not supported, at least for the most part. Oh yeah, definitely. There were, um, especially because of how it started out. Mm. Um, my, uh, my GP was very concerned that I, um, that this was not a good situation. So, I mean, immediately there was, I mean, specialists looking and, and kind of, I got, I got a lot of eyeballs really, really fast on mm. my file and on my case. So, and then after that kind of moving through everything, I felt like I had the opportunity to ask all the questions that I needed. And, um, again, with my husband really being really good with, uh, with all of that stuff as well. Um, I felt, I felt taken care of. And I mean, even for things like, for example, um, uh, just from my, uh, my own experience, um, I was very nervous about, uh, about cancer. And if that, like, if that's what was going on. And so, um, I was given the option. So, um, my doctor said, um, she said, well, so you, we're going to have a CT scan just to kind of like be able to see, see if there's yes. kind of anything there, if anything is, um, and as uh, spread or anything like that. And then, um, you have an option for an MRI. It's up to you. Do you want to? And I said, and I said, yes, because I, I was like, I'm like, will that give us more information, mm-hmm. definitive information? And she said, yes, it would. And so, yes. um, so that, that felt really good. I didn't feel like I had to you know, fights or, um, or anything like that to, to get information or to get access to, to help or support. So. I remember you mentioning that, um, that you had a YouTube channel that was advocating about your experience with uterine fibroids. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I had, I had done a video, I did a couple of videos, um, on Mm -hmm. YouTube, just kind of sharing my experience. So I had built a community for moms, uh, when my, uh, when my oldest was born several years ago. And so I wanted to be able to communicate and share what was going on, knowing that there would be a lot of other women who were going through the same, but perhaps wouldn't feel comfortable saying anything about it or asking any questions. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to give them a heads up. And also because I was going to be probably, you know, indisposed for a bit. And I just wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to let them know why. So it was, it ended up being a really, it ended up being great because I, I mean, I, I went ahead, I, I shared what it was that was going on. I shared before I knew a hundred percent, like I didn't share until I was fairly sure that it was, you know, not just a fibroid, but just not cancer. Cause that's originally mm-hmm. what, I thought. 
So I shared after that point. Um, so, but I was still kind of emotional because I, I hadn't had the surgery yet and I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And so I was still quite nervous and kind of scared. So it ended up being like a bit emotional. Um, but it ended up kind of sparking a lot of conversations, which was really, really great. So I've had mm. since I've had a lot of women, you know, reach out because they knew because I was comfortable, you know, stating publicly that I was having a hysterectomy and this is what was going on. Right, um, right. Ended up having, you know, since a lot of women being like, okay, I'm going to have a hysterectomy. What can I expect? And so being able to share some of those experiences, uh, share share some of those experiences, which is very humanizing and just uh, just comforting for me and for them. I hope so. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been nice in that way. You know, I was just thinking about in regards to that, you're able to share your experiences with them. So at least if anything's missing, cause yours was a severe case, you know, mm-hmm. if anything's missing, you can be able to advocate and say, okay, you need to have this done. And the reason why I'm, I'm saying this, um, you mentioned about having the MRI before you had the hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure if that's something that, um, that is, standard now for before you have a hysterectomy if you have to have an MRI and I hope so um I had a conversation with another um uterine fibroid warrior and we were talking about that um like for example for the longest time they didn't know you had the fibroid and it grown so big Mm -hmm. and I was addressing to her that having an ultrasound even a sonohistogram never really saw the amount of fibroids that I had Mm -hmm. for example it wasn't until I had an MRI that they saw the whole thing was encased in fibroids. And one of the things I was mentioning to her that, I mean, MRIs we know can be expensive. They are expensive in general. But for women's reproductive health, especially when it comes to fibroids, like of having even possible annual or every two years for women to have an MRI of the uterus, because a lot of things are going misdiagnosed, mm-hmm. even, even um, ovarian cancer, things mm-hmm. like that, that people are not able to see, but the MRI gives a full spectrum of what's happening, a full view of what's happening to the uterus. But we're realizing that um, the ultrasounds are, are not our feeling. Mm-hmm. I have to say the word feeling because they're not seeing everything. You mm-hmm. had a size of a watermelon. And what was it? How many months prior you had an ultrasound and they didn't see it? Yeah, exactly. That was, it was like about a year. I mean, it oh, was come on. Yeah. yeah. It had to be there. Had and to be. so, and, and, and I kept thinking, my God, you know, you could have had the opportunity for a myomectomy, mm. you know, but it had grown that big. Exactly. You know? And then that's part of the question too. Yeah. It's like, why? Why is this happening? Why is it? When, when also you hear about the fact that, you know, what, what is the, what is the, the, the statistic for the, like the chances of a woman having fibroids and the chances of a woman having hysterectomy some point in their life? Like it's astronomically high. Yes, like it is. High. Why, why is it standard that women are going to lose an entire organ in their yes. life? Like why is that standard? I mean, I, I find it really hard to believe that if this was happening to the male side of the population, that they <laughs> listen, over yes. half of you are going to have to have your testicles removed at some point. Yes. Like, just deal with it. Like, I really don't. It's feel. like it's nothing. Yeah, it's, it's no big deal. It's like it's like it's like yeah, exactly. It's like you're just kind of removing, you know, like a skin a skin tag or something. Like this is this is an organ. This is and just like we spoke as I spoke about before. I mean, like culturally, emotionally, psychologically, there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to go ahead. Not only, I mean, not only because of the fact that it's like, it's invasive, but also yes. any kind of surgery is, is a danger to go into. 
and, and to kind of like subject someone to not only that person, but then mm. people have complications. I mean, it's, it's just, it boggles my mind that, that it's just like, it's standard and it's fine. And that, that, that even like a lot of research isn't even done to it. Sorry, I'm like getting going here. Before I had mine. Please go ahead. I was doing like all this research, trying to find out everything else. The most research that I could find or the most kind of online discussion that was happening and research was about sex after. So I was like, interesting. The thing that was going to impact men the most in this entire thing, Mm -hmm. everybody happens to be talking about and making a big thing about, what about me? What about my body? What about like all the changes that are going to happen? Like, what about me? Yes. It's, 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 it's unreasonable. It's, ugh. there's not enough research out there. There really isn't. Mm-mm. I mean, even when I'm doing research myself and I'm thinking we're addressing, I'm looking at the whole understanding of uterine fibroids on a whole, and I'm looking at the percentage of Canadian women that have fibroids. Right. And so we're showing it and I'm looking at even culturally wise because statistic wise, black and brown women, so black mm-hmm. and South Asian women have the highest rates of uterine fibroids. Mm. This information, last time I, that they did research on this was 2012, and it was only three medical studies. And I'm looking for medical studies. I'm just looking for all these medical studies on uterine fibroids with women and mm-hmm. why automatic, my, like our parents' generation, it was automatic hysterectomy. Yeah. There was no, like my mother had me and then it was like, oh, well, she, you know, she was pregnant with me with fibroids. Mm-hmm. And that's how she found out she had a fibroid. Okay. And they were like, nope, we're going to do the set surgery and it's automatic. Oh, you have to have a hysterectomy. And I'm thinking, what do, do they understand the significance of the uterus yeah. and our, the connection to it? You know, as you said, men, if they said, oh, you're going to cut, you know, remove your testicles is no big deal. You can live without it. There's no way that would <laughs> No, 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 no. And oh. as you mentioned, the sexual health. Okay, men are saying, oh, well, the women are not feel, you know, feeling the same. And the women are like, sometimes we don't feel the same. I've heard women say, you know what? My sexual drive kind of went off once I, once I had the hysterectomy. Does my husband yeah. understand? I know women where they, the, she had to bring her doctor into the, I'm sorry, bring her husband into the doctor's office to be able to discuss, this is what's happening to her. Because there's that, there's that disconnect of explaining what is actually happening. Yeah. It's not a skin tag, as you said. Exactly. It's also, when you think about like what it is that that piece of, of like, you know, material flesh in yes. your body is doing, it's holding up all of your organs. Yes. That and supports, then to, yeah. That supports that. And so now, now we're having to compensate and then still just kind of like stomp around in our lives in the way that, that we always have when yeah. like, why, why are, why aren't you doing all the same physical things? Well, because this whole, like this whole hammock that was keeping all of my organs up, isn't there yes. anymore. Exactly. So, yeah. It's, I've it's seen so frustrating. I've seen women even talk about, you know, even their shape, like the way they're naturally physically built and the way that the way they can be able to walk or physically, this is even their shape in general completely Mm -hmm. changes because the organs have to compensate, Yeah, you know? And I I mean, it happens as part of life, you know? And of course, you know, there's certain things like, you know, ovarian cancer and all of these things where people have to have the hysterectomy. It's important. It's a lifesaver. And even Mm -hmm. for us with the fibroids, Mm -hmm. you know, it may be, (laughs) as I call it, a big rock in your uterus (laughs) 
But at the same time, it causes pain. You're popping down. The ad feels like there's no tomorrow. You're losing blood, your nails. It's, it is affecting our health, but it's happening so rapidly. And yeah. why? Why? Why is it happening so much? Yeah. Especially when I look at North America, from based on what I saw in regards to statistics, it's like, why are we having, is it something in the food? Is it in the environmental products that we use? But as I was saying that, why are we having so much of these xenoestrogens mm -hmm. in the environment? And it's affecting us. Mm -hmm. Hugely. Yeah. Like how many people do you know? Like in, from the small town that I am from mm -hmm. in Northern British Columbia, Prince George, BC, yes. I know so many women who have had, have had um, infertility issues, mm -hmm. who had tumors in their body, have had cervical cancer, have had uterine, uh, uterine cancer, have had all kinds of cancers that they've had and fertility issues, tumors, all of this. Why is that happening? Why is it so concentrated? Why? I mean, is this standard? Like, is, was it standard that everyone from all age categories, this has always been happening. It seems highly suspect to me that so many people, so many women right. are dealing with this exactly to your point. Like what, what is happening and why, why is there not more data on this? Why is yes. there not information on this? Why is there not an inquiry? Why is this not interesting? And if that is happening in your small town, there's something that must be happening. Like, you know how they say there's something in the water, like mm -hmm. there's something happening that's affecting that community because for that to have that much high rates of cancer and different, all these different types of tumors. No, 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 no. There's something going on there. That's, that is suspect. I agree. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sorry. You have me thinking. <laughs> you have me thinking, but, yeah. um, in, and along with, um, you mentioned that you did a lot of research um, prior to the, having your surgery. Was a certain website, social media sites? Um, can you mention a few of them that supported you through? Absolutely. There was um, a website that I really liked. It was called Hister Sisters. Yes. The first time yeah. I ever heard that term. I loved yeah. it. It was really fantastic. And one of the things I really liked about that website was that it just had a lot of resources and it had this, I don't know if they still have this. I hope that they do. It was a great resource. When you signed up, they sent you this PDF and it was just this list of, you know, what to do in the, you know, eight weeks before, and then this, this timeline, and then what to kind of get, you can get a belly band, you can do this, you can do that. And then what to expect afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, right down to things like, um, that was where I got the suggestion to, to get a belly band and that that would be helpful and, and how to arrange your pillows. Um, even things like to expect the fact that you're going to have a lot of, a lot of gas. And so that's just, I mean, I didn't know that I had no idea that I'm yeah. so read that, um, all those kinds of things. That was a, that was a resource that I thought was, was really valuable. You know, it's funny because I'm listening to some of the resources that they provided for you. Why is this not provided from a medical doctor? Is this a list of things to do post-surgery? Exactly. These things, the, I remember like, and this is the importance of websites like this, or even, and I can say, um, in the holistic or, uh, you know, more the holistic, uh, naturopathic type of treatments. Um, if you go back to speak to your grandmother or your great grandmother, that type of information was often provided, even for example, after you've had a baby, mm. they used to do the banding, you know? Um, and these are the things I knew my grandmother and great grandmother talked about. 
And it made sense. As soon as he said that, I said, oh yeah, they do that after they have a baby. That would be able to hold it, that banding technique. All this information is pertinent and it's helpful. And I, yeah, the History Sisters is a really good website. Why aren't we getting this from our medical practitioners? Is it not enough time? A basic write-up? I know it was a checklist and that I had yeah. my little out and I would go into the doctor and those are the questions I was asking. Like, why didn't, Good why, you. why, yeah, like it'd be so, it'd be so easy. And also just from a, um, it's from a care perspective, it would make yeah. me feel so much more like, okay, relax. Like if they're providing this information, if they're saying, these are the kinds of things that you should be, you should be checking into. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't cost anything. They've got all kinds of pamphlets in there. I mean, yeah. having, having kind of one more, I think would have been hugely valuable. So they have the pamphlets that's probably marketing for another company, but the basic information that you need for self for recovery is not provided. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. So um, you mentioned um, uh, the mommy website that you have. So just for our listeners who are out in BC, what was the name and what was the um, link for the website or the URL? Yes, it is. Well, see, it's a series of communities and it's a little bit, it's a little bit long. So just let me, um, I'll have to grab, what is it? It is. So the community is called Momble. And so if you go on Facebook and you go M-O-M-M-B-L-E, mm-hmm. you'll see a you'll see a, face, a Facebook page and go to the community section and you'll see a number of the, the communities there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Shauna, I just want to thank you so much for your time and um, just to be able to share your story. It's very significant and it's a wonderful experience. Um, in this, when I say wonderful, it's because you went through the journey, but you really advocated for yourself. You did your own research. Because a lot of times as women, we just go into the doctor's office and we just say, okay, you know what? The doctors know best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to make sure advocate for yourself and that your husband also advocated for you. <laughs> he went in there and he's like, Mm-mm, no, I'm going <laughs> to ask my questions. I like that. <laughs> but overall, I just want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your story. And um, it was wonderful having you today. So I just want to say again to our listeners, reading information is one thing, but listening through a lived experience is another and paramount. And that's what we do here at Freedom to Know Wellness. Thank you and have a great day. Be well. Thank you again, Shauna, for being on the Freedom to Know Wellness podcast. Shauna had vlogged her fibroid hysterectomy journey. To follow her story, find the links provided in the description box below and connect with her Mumble Mother's Support Group at www.mumble.com and on their Facebook group page at Moms Uniting Moms forward slash groups. For further information on uterine fibroids, hysterectomies, and subjects alike, follow our blog at www.freedomtoknowwellness.subset.com and follow Freedom to Know Wellness podcast on our YouTube channel at FTK Wellness, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you again and be well.